Good morning, everybody. I have something uh, pretty sad to report. I just lost one of my Snapchat streaks. Sad. There are worse things going on in the world, so I will, I will take care of it, but yep, suck it up, buttercup. Uh, let me pray for us. Um, Father, uh, I just want to add to what we've been praying. Father, everybody that's going through a, a rough time right now, especially um, all the stuff that's happening in, uh, in Florida and with the fires out west and uh, all the hurricanes that are lined up back to back. Uh, Father, I pray that you would open up our eyes, God, that we wouldn't come in here and have a spiritual moment, ask you to do a whole bunch of things, and uh, sit on our hands for the rest of the week. Father, open up opportunities for me personally to get involved, to be able to give, to be able to send um, food and supplies, God. Father, I pray that you would move on pastors' hearts, God, that when they're, when they're looking at the devastation um, around them, Father, I pray that you would move on them, that they wouldn't lose heart, that they wouldn't give up, they wouldn't look in the face of so much destruction and, uh, and feel overwhelmed, Father. But God, just give us an opportunity to, to do something uh, with this feeling of compassion that we have. In Jesus' name. So um, I don't garden much. I hate garden gardening. In fact, um, my grandfather was really good at it. I'm really bad at it. And so I got to watch him garden a lot because something I learned when I was a kid that if you do something really bad, they ask you not to do it again. So it's like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I messed up all of the corn. I guess I don't have to shut corn again. Um, but I do know something about weeding because it's really hard to mess up uh, weeding, but I mess up weeding. What happens when you uh, cut down a weed and you don't take out the root? It comes right back. It's, it's like that there's a, a law of biology involved in that, uh, in that weed. The important part of a weed is below the ground. So when you cut off a weed, the root will grow back. Have you ever gone on the internet and seen uh, someone say or do something uh, completely crazy? <laughs> What else is there on the internet? Like, you get on Facebook and it's like, you said what? You did what? Have you ever had that conversation? Did you see what so-and-so did? Oh, my gosh. Have you ever gotten uh, just awestruck at uh, the idiocy of some people on the internet and you, being a rational, responsible uh, human being, you take to the internet and you go, well, surely they must not know better. I know better. I'm going to give them some wisdom. Hey, just want to let you know, you're wrong, and you're crazy. And they, seeing your wisdom, go, you know, I didn't know that I was crazy. Thank you so much for enlightening me. Has that ever happened to you? No? Usually you walk into that and you realize, uh, I've just stepped into a hornet's nest and I didn't realize, and all these hornets are, uh, are facing towards me. Have you ever said hi to someone on Facebook? Like, bah, bah, bah. You're, you dress funny and you smell weird. It's like, I said hi to you and you're ripping me apart. Well, why don't people respond to, you're wrong, stop it. Well, just like the weed, the important part of a weed happens below the ground. The important part of why we do the things that we do happen below the ground. I can't, you can't look into my life and see the motivations that are going on in my heart. All you can do is just see what comes out on the surface. And a lot of the times, what comes out onto the surface is strange, is crazy, it's scary, it's terrifying. Like when I see that weed manifest in reality, I want to go, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to stand next to you. You scare me. You terrify me. But a lot of the times, the church's response, I'm not necessarily talking about like on our 
social media page, but like the church, the family of the church, we want to help people. And when we see someone doing something wrong, we'd be idiots to not go, hey, you're doing that wrong. Hey, like turn the screwdriver around this way. Doesn't that work a whole lot better? But instead, when we tell people to turn the screwdriver around the wrong way, they get mad at us. Because a lot of the reasons why we are doing the things that we are doing have to do with unmet needs that are going on inside of our heart. So um, I hate it when um, uh, pastors rhyme and have everything start with the same letter. And I have unintentionally rhymed a couple of times today, so I apologize for my rhyme. Um, So we've got weeds and needs, and we're going to talk about a castle under siege. Doesn't that sound horrible? So um, the study of why we do the things that we do is a huge branch of uh, psychology. Like to figure out, like if we really could tap motivation, why you do the things that you do, we would market it and we would all make millions of dollars. Uh, But in the 20s, a guy named Abraham uh, Maslow, and Maslow's, if you've ever taken like a a general psych class, Maslow is the guy that you talk about um, when it comes to um, motivation. He developed a pyramid, and pyramids are very cool like ancient mummies, you know, pyramids, like that's, that's kind of cool. Um, but he said that we all have these basic needs. I have a basic need. And there are different levels, there are different tiers, there is a hierarchy of how important those needs are. You can go without a friend for a long time. It's bad, it stinks, but you can go without a friend for a while. You can't go more than a few minutes without air. Like if someone cuts off your air supply, you have a much bigger problem than who's going to go to the Super Bowl. So we have these needs that start off on this base level. I can't worry about the needs, meeting the needs of a higher level until I take care of my base level first. After I take care of my base level needs, then I can bump up to the next one. And when I take care of those needs, I can bump up to the next one. And all the way at the top is something that they called self-actualization, which I never understood. But um, it's being the best you that you can be. Have you ever um, had a friend, loved one, Um, person on the internet and you see what they've done, you see what they've said, and you went, you could be doing a whole lot better than that. Have you ever looked at your kids and went, you are not being the best you that you can be? Have you ever told that to your spouse? (laughs) Honey, you need more self-actualization in your life. (laughs) But it's hard for us to hit that top level. It's hard for us to work on being the best us that we can be when I have all these unmet needs. So he said that it was like a pyramid. You've got to take care of the base and then you move on. And although pyramids are cool, we're not gonna worry about pyramids. We're gonna think about castle walls because castles are way cooler than pyramids. Imagine that you're the ruler of of a castle. You're the king or queen of this amazing castle. You found a sword lying in a pond in England and all of a sudden, bam, you're the regent of an entire country. And as a smart ruler, it is, It consumes your day to work on the um, commerce, the education, the development of that castle. You want that castle to have the best stuff that is possible for a castle to have. You want sconces. You want gatehouses. You want a portcullis because I just love being a nerd about stuff like that. So you want the economy of your castle to work very effectively. Unfortunately, there are enemies in the land. And you will bump into an enemy, and what enemies do? They attack. Well, when we talk about a castle or a city, an enemy will lay siege to a castle. 
that means that they will either show up with big spears or big heavy rocks and throw big heavy rocks at your castle, try to break down the doors of your castle, or the easiest thing to do with uh, castle uh, warfare is just camp outside your castle and don't let any food in. And eventually your food runs out and you start starving. And some of the worst things in the Old Testament, like when you read all the scary verses in the Old Testament, a lot of those are prophecies about what's going to be happening inside the city of Jerusalem when the Babylonians laid siege. They laid siege to the city of Jerusalem three different times. And when you go through uh, Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, well, not Ezekiel, when you go through those major prophets and read about the awful stuff that happens inside of a city, people resort to cannibalism. And that's not something you want, like, when, like, your buddy Joe comes over to you, like, you want Joe to help you, not like, well, it's a pretty good arm. Like, you don't want your friends thinking about that with you. So the easiest thing for the enemy to do is either attack you directly in these needs, or he just camps out and cuts off your resources. So you start starving. Now, when a city starts starving, people resort to some pretty awful behavior. We call that maladaptive behavior. You do things that you would never do in a normal circumstance. Like cannibalism is not something we naturally do. Cannibalism is something that is a result of a really rough situation. And so when these needs aren't getting met, weird behavior starts coming out to the surface. So when you sit there and you see somebody do something or say something that you would never do or you would never say, instead of us going, well, you're wrong, stop it. Stop trying to eat me, Joe. Instead of saying you're wrong, stop this, let's start asking what need is not being met? Because your buddy Joe probably will not try to eat you if his need is met another way. So the the whole goal of today is to start thinking people are motivated by needs that you can't see. I can't get inside someone's circuit box and start tinkering around with their brain. I I don't know what drives you as a person. And a lot of the antisocial behavior that we experience has to do with some of these needs not being met. So what are uh, some of these needs? Well, the first need, um, Sammy, if you could help me off on that, uh, that first need. The first need is a physical need. It's our, our basic need. We need food. Um, physiological. We need food. I need water. I need air. I need shelter. When you start talking to me about what needs to happen in the geopolitical uh, uh, environment in sub-Saharan Africa, I don't have time to worry about that because I'm starving to death. When we come up on people that in our community that are experiencing a need, their physiological need, they're not getting enough food at home, it doesn't matter what we want their ACT scores to be. The base level need, I I can't worry about self-actualization. I can't be the best me that I can possibly have because I don't have clean water. And we have people in our community that experience this now, not everybody, not most people, but some. And that's why we do things with uh, the Avery Trace Food Ministry because there are people in our schools now that it's not that they're not getting enough food, but when everything that you have in your house is Cheetos and Mountain Dew, your basic needs aren't being met. And so all the teachers are spending all of their time not worrying about teaching, which a novel concept a teacher should be able to teach, but they're spending all of their time trying to meet these base needs of people. So what happens, have you ever gotten the wind knocked out of you? 
and like your diaphragm's just not working. You can't get air and you start panicking. Has anyone ever experienced that? I used to fall off uh, horse fences all the time because I'm awesome. And I'd get the air knocked out of me and it is just like, it is a panic. If anybody ever struggles with asthma, not being able to meet the need of air. You don't care about what's going on in Sub-Saharan Africa when you can't get air. But when you have air restored to you, have you ever seen, like in a movie, probably not in real life unless anybody's a lifeguard, you've probably not ever seen someone suffocating and then get air restored to them and they start greedily grasping at their need. Have you ever seen someone that's been hungry and they fill up their plate? It's like, you're not going to be able to eat this much food. But they don't care. They're trying to greedily meet that need. Now, that, that makes sense when we're talking about air. When we're talking about someone suffocating, you greedily try to, to meet that need when you're experiencing a lack. Um, and that's going to come in uh, a little bit later. So what the enemy does is trying to take a shot at you. And he knows that if he can have an issue in your basic need, if he can remove food, you're not worrying about preaching the gospel. The gospel is a far-flung conclusion. I need food now. That's why we have so many verses in the Bible that talks about like, hey, when I was in prison, you came and saw me. Like when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. That stuff is just as spiritual as preaching the gospel to somebody. I am going to be meeting a need in your life. Okay, so once we've taken care of the physical needs, in, in, our, uh, in our lives, in our community, we can start bumping up to the next need. What's the next need? The next need is the need of safety or our environment. Uh, now, not all of us have ever experienced hunger, starvation, suffocation before, but I would say that everybody in this room has had a time that they felt unsafe. Have you ever had someone following you like too closely and you get that, ooh, have you ever heard a, a, a noise inside your house? Have you ever had your house broken into? How funny is it when we have our houses broken into and we're not even there, the feeling of safety goes out the window. Is there an immediate threat? No, there's not an immediate threat. I just don't feel safe. If you have ever experienced or have a loved one that's experienced PTSD, you know the permanent damage that can be done to our mind, to our body, to our, our social um, dynamics because of one event that I don't feel safe. Now, what happens if you grew up in an area that violence is just a way of life? Have you ever, have you ever been in a neighborhood where it's like, what was that? It's like, well, someone shot a gun. When we get into environments, um, parts of cities, um, if you live with an abusive uh, family member, it doesn't matter what Jesus wants you to do. It doesn't matter what your teachers want your ACT to be. You are fighting to restore that feeling of safety in your life. Who cares what's going on in sub-Saharan Africa? Who cares what's going on in Southeast Asia? I don't, I don't care anymore. I'm trying to feel safe. And if we, if we can't meet our basic need of safety, we will try to start manipulating scenarios and situations in order just to pacify myself. Have you ever seen a kid um, go through a, a rough time and like get it really attached to like a blanket or uh, a stuffed animal? I, will, like, I don't feel safe, so I will try to manipulate my surroundings so that I, I, I just want to feel safe. It is easy for us in Western countries to look at developing nations and be confused why they make the decisions that they make. 
Think about North Korea. Like, so th the leader of North Korea is a crazy person. It's obvious that we think that he is a crazy person. Have you ever thought, why in the world do the people in North Korea not just stand up and overthrow him? We did it. We overthrew our government because we didn't want to pay for paper. Like, when we talk about America, it was over a paper act. I understand that it was more complicated than that. But the, the straw that broke the camel's back was like, you can't have paper, guys. And we were like, that's it. We're overthrowing the government. Because we all had food. We all felt decently safe. And when I have my needs met, it's easy for me to rationally think through and go, yeah, we can start a coup. But the people in North Korea are starving to death. They feel unsafe all the time. And it is easy for us to go, come on, North Koreans, get your act together. They can't, they can't process those higher level needs. They can't self-actualize. North Korea can't be the best North Korea has to, has to offer because they don't have the basic needs in their life. Have you ever thought about what happened in Germany? That the, that the Germans let Hitler rise to power and just watched it happen? So would you. If you didn't feel safe, if you were in constant fear of the Gestapo, someone's saying something as a joke and then all of a sudden they come talk to you. It is easy for us to judge somebody else that's not getting their need met and go, man, go get a job. Start working. It's like, well, it's easy for you to think that because you have all your needs met. But when you don't have your basic needs met, we start developing some really weird behavior. Okay, so... Um, my kind of last point on, uh, on safety. I want to thank and give a shout out to all of the educators in the room. We have a bunch of teachers that go to, uh, to church here. Um, I want to thank all of our parents, grandparents, foster parents, because we have a lot of kids in our community and a lot of people that live their entire lives in unsafe conditions. So what can we do as the church? Well, our teachers, our parents, our grandparents, our mentors, our police force, I can't go inside your home and fix your home. If you are living in an unsafe environment, I can't do anything to stop that right now. But what I can do is promise that when you get within 10 feet of me, you've got a safe environment. And so many times, our teachers are refuges of safety. And we don't think about that. I had uh, Miss McGregor was my fourth grade, sixth grade uh, teacher. And I didn't feel safe at home. And so when I would come to school, Miss McGregor would shelter me with that safety. And I want to thank you because I know it's a tireless job. I know it's a thankless job that you, I don't feel like I'm making a dent with your kids when you are struggling to provide for them a safe environment because you feel the storm. Like as a parent, as a grandparent, you feel the pressures of life and you try to stretch your arms out over your kids and you try to provide safety for them. You weather the attack, you weather the storm to protect your kids. I want to thank you for doing that. You might not reap the results, but eventually the next generation will so that your kids don't have to have these maladaptive behaviors. We provide, as a church, we provide a position of safety that you come in these walls and you don't really have to think about what's going on in your life, even just for an hour. Once you come in and just hang out and be safe, I can't fix the rest of your life, but I can fix this, this hour. 
I can provide safety for you. And it's not just my job, it's all of us. The person that you're sitting next to potentially has had a very chaotic week. Not potentially, probably has had a very chaotic week. What can we do as the church to stretch our arms out over our brothers and sisters? Like, I don't know what you're going through in life, but around the 10 feet around me, you can feel safe. All right, so the next uh, two needs, I kind of want to not lump them together as one, but then the next need that we've got to take care of, the next castle wall that we have to defend is the wall of love and belonging, is our friendships, our families, feelings of intimacy. I am convinced that most of the weird behavior that we experience and that we see comes from this need not being met. I don't feel loved. I don't feel like I belong. And can I confess, like, this is where a lot of the, when the enemy comes to attack me, this is where he attacks me. You don't fit in. I do. I do fit in. Do I feel like I fit in? No, I don't. But I do fit in because I've had to learn in a healthy environment, I can't listen to that voice in my head. That voice in my head is wrong. And I have friends and family that come in and teach me, you fit in, you belong. What happens if you don't have that safety net? What happens if every social event seems like this chaotic, ah, ah I, don't, I don't really fit in, I don't really belong. Have you ever looked at ISIS and, and asked yourself, why in the world do people listen to that garbage? It's because they are providing for people's needs. People over in the Middle East, hey, if you have a, a food shortage, ISIS will show up and give you food. It won't last long, but they'll give you food. You hear gunshots every day? Well, we're going to put a gun in your hand so that you can provide safety for your family. You don't feel like you belong? You belong with the brotherhood. It's the reason why people join cults. It's because cults are meeting their needs. They're meeting their needs to manipulate and to warp them. But they're meeting their needs. And so people show up. Yeah, I'll show up for ISIS. I'll show up for this weirdo, rando cult because you're meeting my need. One of the, the things that we are supposed to do as the church is to meet this need of love and belonging. Unfortunately, when someone's starving and you give them food, they will eat for the most part. If someone doesn't feel safe and you provide an atmosphere of safety for them, they will meet that need. They will come like, like a little mother hen with little chicks. They will come rest in your safety. But unfortunately, the enemy has got us so messed up with this that when I offer love and belonging, when I say you fit in here, you belong here, our minds go, you're right. I don't believe you. I had uh, one of my buddies one time, I, I was struggling with feelings of belonging. And my buddy for an hour uh, had a very, very stern conversation with me of like, you are wrong. How many times do we have to tell you that we love you before you start believing us? You need to suck this up, man. What is wrong with you? And it's like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, but it broke through the garbage that my mind was telling me that I don't fit in, that I don't love. Every service that we have here, we have people that sit in next to people, shoulder to shoulder, and never feel like they belong, that they fit in, that they're loved. And all of it's not on our shoulders. And so I want to lay something kind of at your guys' feet. If you feel or have felt that you don't feel loved, that you don't fit in, that you don't belong in this family, you're wrong. I love you. I might not know you, 
but I love you. You fit in here. You belong here. If you think that anything in your past discredits you from being a part of this family, ha ha ha. You fit in. You belong here. Don't worry about that stuff. Well, they, they're just looking at me. No, we're not. We are focused on our own issues. We don't care what you've done in the past. We love you. You fit in. You belong right here. So stop listening to that dumb voice in your head because it's telling you lies. It's an attack outside your gate. And unfortunately, we defend against all the other attacks. But when the enemy comes with us, like, you don't fit in, you belong, we go, yeah, let me open up the gate and just let you waltz in. We believe the lies that the enemy tells us. And the frustrating thing is, we don't even have to wait for the enemy to attack. We will feel, hey, I've not felt depressed lately. Let's think up some stuff to feel depressed over. We will develop our own strategy of attack to attack our own gates in this, in this need. We will have access to the provision for this need and go, I'm starving. Like, you are not. You are developing this in your mind, but it's because we don't get close enough to each other. It's because I'd never got close enough to a buddy for him to finally go, Snap out of it, you crazy person. Like, oh, gosh. So if you don't feel like you love, that, you, that you're loved, that you fit in, that you belong, stop listening to that voice. And in order to feel that, you got to start rubbing elbows. You got to start letting people in. It's like, yeah, but they're as crazy as I am. They are. I know. But God has hid the solution to your problem in the person that's sitting next to you. Not in a sermon, not in an amazing worship song, in the friendship of the person that's sitting next to you. You fit in. You belong. You are loved in this body. And the, and the last need that I'm going to talk about, um, it kind of goes with love and belonging. When I don't have my needs of love and belonging met, I have a need of self-esteem. It's not pride. It's not arrogance. I need to look in front, like at the mirror and like the person that's, standing, or that's staring back at me. But how many of us look in the mirror and just beat ourselves up? either physically, emotionally, mentally. How many times do people say, I'm awful at this, I'm bad at this, I'm too fat, I'm too skinny, I'm too tall, too short. I've got this thing growing out of my head. Like, I wish I could just get and just put some tape and pull, you know. We, we make it a, a, a sporting event to judge how bad we are at things. And I want to let you know that your self-esteem is a need that you're supposed to have. That's why so much, I know that I've not read a whole bunch of verses in the Bible because this is the New Testament. <laughs> this is the reason why the church is here. And how many times does Paul say in the New Testament who you are in Christ? Like, well, I'm just poor sinner saved by grace. What was me? No, you're not. You were, but he's pulled you out of that. You are clothed in Christ's righteousness. You have the mind of Christ. When you look in the mirror, you are supposed to see, it's 2 Corinthians, you are supposed to see the image of Jesus staring right back at you. And any time that you look in a mirror and you don't see Jesus, it's because you are believing a figment of your imagination. Because when the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus. So stop beating yourself up. Stop saying like, oh, just, um, no one's going to like me because I X, Y, Z. Uh-uh. No, you are valuable and if you don't feel your value, I want you to share that with someone that's sitting next to you. Hey, these are the thoughts that I think to myself. Would you ever let someone say to you the thoughts that you say to yourself? No, you'd black somebody's eye. 
for saying something about you that you've said about yourself. Whisper to your neighbor, hey, do you think it's normal that I think this about myself? And watch their reaction. So when I say that I have a problem feeling like I fit in, that I belong, I feel that people just put up with me, that no one actually loves me. Everybody's reaction is, you? Yep. When I say it out loud, it does sound like a crazy person, right? So we have needs. We have needs, physical needs. Well, what do we do as the church? Well, we provide for those physical needs. When someone's hungry, we give them food. When someone doesn't have clean drinking water, we give them clean drinking water. If you need air, I have got an abundance of air for you. And because you greedily try to pull that need from me, like you're suffocating and all of a sudden I can breathe again, I don't judge you for greedily getting that need met. That's just what we do. That's natural behavior. We have needs of safety. So when you come out from an unsafe environment, let us know I don't feel safe. That way we know, oh, I can, I can give you some safety. And when you come out of that environment, when you feel a little needy, because have, have you ever gotten a friend and it's like, man, you're needy? Yeah, well, they are. They are needy. Newsflash, they're needy. Well, so am I. I've got so many needs. And so when that person comes out, when, when they've got their uh, uh, need met of love and belonging, and they're just like, you're my only friend ever. Stick with me for the rest of your life. It's like, whoo, wow, you're kind of needy, aren't you? But I'm not going to get scared because you were suffocating and now you can breathe. I'm going to pacify you. It's okay. It's okay. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going anywhere. You're not going to start suffocating again here in five minutes. You're going to be fine. And we love them through their need. When we come into contact with someone that has a junky self-esteem, we build into them. We, we operate in the Holy Spirit's gift of encouragement, not to give flattering compliments, but to pour life. And you don't see yourself the way that I see you. Let me tell you how I see you. You are amazing this way, this way, this way, and this way. But if we never get close enough, if I never share with my brother or sister, hey, I'm feeling pretty junky about myself. We, we don't realize that we have the opportunity to be like, let me reverse this. Let me meet that need of self-esteem. Well, we can go ahead and stand up. Um, if, my, uh, if my prayer team could come down, um, we're, we want to give you an opportunity to get some of your needs met. We can't do it in a heartbeat. We can't do it at the drop of a hat, but we can start meeting some of your needs. We've got people down here. If you don't have food in your house, if you don't have clean drinking water in your house, if you don't feel safe, we want to meet those needs. If you don't feel loved or you don't feel like you belong, we want to meet those needs. Let us know when you're going through a rough time because I promise you, you are not the only one. So we're going to open up the altars for a little bit and then we're going to pray and then we're going to be at the end of our day and we're going to go on for the rest of it. But now is a moment that you're thinking about. When you walk outside the doors, you're going to stop thinking about it. If you have a need that needs to get met, let's start trying to meet it today. Amen.